Hi, this is Brad Constantine, and you've reached the Book of Mormon Lecture Series. I've been teaching seminary and institute for the last 11 years, and uh, this is an attempt to do a deep dive into the Book of Mormon itself. I'm hoping that you'll find this uplifting and edifying. This is not an official recording of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but every attempt has been made to be as doctrinally accurate as possible. So if you're ready for a deep dive into the Book of Mormon, here we go. All right. Uh, welcome back to, to the Book of Mormon podcast. Um, this discussion is going to be on 1 Nephi chapter 20, and this is the beginning of getting into the book of Isaiah. Now, we we joke a lot in the church about uh, how difficult it is to get through Isaiah in the Book of Mormon. Um, there's the story of the guy that was in the military, and he gets shot in the chest, and the bullet uh, stops at his uh, because he's wearing in his pocket a, a pocket copy of the Book of Mormon, and the bullet stops right at Isaiah, and of course that means that nothing can get through Isaiah. Um, pretty funny, I know. Um, anyway, Isaiah, let me just give you a background or some things to help us better understand Isaiah. First of all, um, it's important for us to understand Isaiah. The Savior even said that... Um, he says in 3 in Nephi, he says, Behold, I say unto you that ye ought to search these things, a commandment I give unto you that ye search these things diligently, for great are the words of Isaiah. For surely he spake as touching all things concerning my people, which are of the house of Israel. Therefore it must needs be that he must speak also to the Gentiles. And all things that he spake have been and shall be, even according to the words which he spake. Elder McConkie said, it, it just may be that my salvation and yours also does in fact depend upon our ability to understand the writings of Isaiah as fully and truly as Nephi understood them. And then there are 10 basic ways here to, uh, to 10 keys to understanding Isaiah. Uh, pay the price in study and effort. Have the spirit of prophecy. Understand the manner of prophesying of the Jews. Become familiar with the geography of the Holy Land and regions surrounding it. Learn of the judgments of God and the fulfillment of his prophecies. Understand the historical setting of Isaiah's writings. Use the Book of Mormon. Study all scriptures and learn them thoroughly. Use the edition of the Bible published by the church. And Isaiah is understood line upon line. And so we need to keep in mind that uh, also that, that Isaiah doesn't always speak in chronological order. Uh, so sometimes even within one chapter or even a set of verses, he, he can switch back and forth between his day, uh, a future time from where he was, or even into our day. So each chapter needs to be looked at carefully within, within its own historical context. Also, um, Isaiah um, can be confusing. Some of it is symbolic in nature. Some of it is very poetical, and uh, we'll, we'll talk about that another time. Um, According to Jewish authorities, Isaiah's father Amoz was the brother of Amaziah, the king of Uzziah, the king of Uzziah, I'm sorry, the father of Uzziah, which would make Isaiah of royal lineage and a cousin of Uzziah, king of Judah. His ministry was between 742 and 700 BC. The covenant people were not carrying out their mission to bless the nations of the earth and were resisting all of God's efforts to reclaim them. And so uh, Isaiah had a mission here to teach uh, the Israelites uh, to do their to do better and and they didn't always uh, adhere to that. So let's get into chapter one. Uh, I'm sorry, chapter 20, verse one. Again, a little bit of a background about this particular chapter, both this one and chapter 21. Um, let me just give you kind of a 
thumbnail sketch of what we're going to be reading about. First of all, chapter 20 is a contract. Uh, it's about a contract. So verse 1 to 2 is the preamble of the contract. Verse uh, 3 through 8 is the historical review. This is where the Lord predicted Israel's current problems. Um, verses 9 through 11 is the conditions of the contract. And this is the Lord's promises to defer his anger and redeem Israel from Babylon. Uh, verses 12 to 14 are the witnesses. The earth, the heavens, and Israel are called to witness what God has done and, and will do. And then uh, verses 17 to 22 are the cursings and the blessings. The Lord contracts, contrasts the results of Israel's wicked and righteous acts. So uh, that's what chapter 20 is going to be about. Chapter 21 is actually the trial. And I'll, I'll give you more details about that when we get to it. So, so as we can see from chapter 20, this is about the contract that Israel has with God. That helps us to better understand what's really going on here. So this is to the Israelites in Judah. Uh, now, verses 1 to 16, the Lord also is dealing with a stubborn covenant people. Um, also, since Nephi had the writings of Isaiah on the brass plates, these are probably a little bit more accurate than... Um, than what we have in our current Bible. All right, uh, verse 1. Hearken and hear this, O house of Jacob, who are called by the name of Israel, and who are come forth out of the waters of Judah, or out of the waters of baptism. Uh, this clause first appeared in the 1840 and 1842 editions of the Book of Mormon. It, it did not appear again until 1920 edition, and it has been in all editions since that time. It appears to be a prophetic commentary by Joseph Smith, to explain the meaning of the phrase, out of the waters of Judah. Of this, if this phrase were a restoration of the original text as found in the more pure version of the brass plates from which it comes, it would have appeared in the 1830 edition of the Book of Mormon, and we would also expect to find it in the JST of Isaiah 48.1, but we do not. Through the use of this phrase, Joseph is calling our attention to the fact that the ordinance of baptism was as common to the people of the Old Testament as it was to the people of the Book of Mormon who swear by the name of the Lord and make mention of the God of Israel. Yet they swear not in truth nor in righteousness. Church members who make covenants, but in hypocrisy, not righteousness. Verse 2, Nevertheless, they call themselves of the holy city, but they do not stay themselves upon the God of Israel, who is the Lord of hosts. Yea, the Lord of hosts, or man of war, is his name. They claim to be part of the church and Zion. Verse 3, Behold, I have declared the former things from the beginning, and they went forth out of my mouth. And I showed them, I did show them suddenly. Verse 4, And I did it because I knew that thou art obstinate, and thy neck is an iron sinew, and thy brow brass. These describe church members who are stubborn, unyielding, hard of heart, who will not bow before the Lord, and who will not give their mind or thoughts to the Lord. Verse 5, I have even from the beginning declared it to thee, before it came to pass, I showed them, thee, and I showed them for fear, lest thou shouldst say, Mine idol hath done them, and my graven image, and my molten image hath commanded them. Thou hast seen and heard all this, and will ye not declare them, and that I have showed thee new things from this time, even hidden things, in other words, in the temple, and thou didst not know them? Verse 7, They are created now, and not from the beginning, even before the day when thou heardest them not, they were declared unto thee lest thou shouldst say, Behold, I knew them. 
yea, and thou heardest not, yea, thou knewest not, yea, from that time thine ear was not opened, for I knew that thou wouldst deal very treacherously, and was called a transgressor from the womb. Church members are unwilling to obey the Lord, who are betrayers and known as sinners from the beginning. This statement has reference to a, pre, a propensity among some for wickedness demonstrated in the premortal life. Verse 9. Nevertheless, for my name's sake will I defer mine anger, and for my praise will I refrain for thee that I cut thee not off. Verse 10. For behold, I have refined thee, I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. So let me just read you a couple comments here from Elder McConkie. He said, what are we called to? Chosen for what? Called into the church, but chosen to be sealed up unto eternal life and to have one's calling and election made sure. Orson F. Whitney said, no pain that we suffer, no trial that we experience is wasted. It ministers to our education, to the development of such qualities as patience, faith, fortitude, and humility. All that we suffer and all that we endure, especially when we endure it patiently, builds up our characters, purifies our hearts, expands our souls, and makes us more tender and charitable, more worthy to be called the children of God. And it is through sorrow and suffering, toil and tribulation, that we gain the education that we come here to, to acquire, and which will make us more like our Father and Mother in heaven. Uh, Elder Maxwell said, The Lord said, I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. He knows, being omniscient, how we will cope with affliction beforehand. But we do not know this. We need, therefore, the refining that God gives to us, though we do not seek or crave such tribulation. Is not our struggling amid suffering and chastening in a way like the efforts of the baby chicken still in the egg? It must painfully and patiently make its own way out of the shell. To help the chick by breaking the egg for it could be to kill it. Unless it struggles itself to break outside its initial constraints, it may not, may not have the strength to survive thereafter. Afflictions can soften us and sweeten us and can be a chastening influence. We often think of chastening as something being done to punish us, such as by a mortal tutor who is angry and peevish with us. Divine chastening, however, is a form of learning as it is administered at the hands of a loving father. Elder James E. Faust of the Quorum of the Twelve said, In the pain, the agony, and the heroic endeavors of life, we pass through the refiner's fire, and the insignificant and the unimportant in our lives can melt away like dross and make our faith bright, intact, and strong. Elder Faust continued, This change comes about through a refining process, which often seems cruel and hard. In this way, the soul can become like soft clay in the hands of the Master. Verse 11, For mine own sake, yea, of mine own, for mine own sake will I do this, for I will not suffer my name to be polluted, and I will not give my glory unto another. Though these church members have been rebellious, the Lord knows they will be refined through affliction, and thus will continue to qualify to receive his glory. Verse 12, Hearken unto me, O Jacob and Israel, my called. The phrase, my called, has reference to the foreordination given those born into the house of Israel, to be the ministers of salvation to all other peoples of the earth. For I am he, I am the first, and I am also the last. Mine hand hath also laid the foundation of the earth, and my right hand hath spanned the heavens. I call unto them, and they stand up together. Joseph Fielding Smith said, The showing favor to the right hand or side is not something invented by man, but was revealed from the heavens in the beginning. There are numerous passages in the scriptures referring to the right hand, indicating that it is a symbol of righteousness and was used in the making of covenants. The right hand or side is called the dexter, and the left the sinister. Dexter connotes something favorable, sinister something unfavorable or unfortunate. 
It is a well-established practice in the church to partake of the sacrament with the right hand and also to anoint with the right hand according to the custom which the scriptures indicate is and always was approved by divine injunction. And that was from Answers to Gospel Questions. Verse 14, All ye assemble yourselves and hear who among them hath declared these things unto them. The Lord hath loved him, yea, and will fulfill his word, which he hath declared by them, and he will do his pleasure on Babylon, the wicked, and his arm shall come upon the Chaldeans, or those that are learned. Also saith the Lord, I the Lord, yea, I have spoken, yea, I have called him to declare, I have brought him, and he shall make his way prosperous. Verse 16, Come ye near unto me. The prophet Joseph said, We know not what we shall be called to, to pass through before Zion is delivered and established. Therefore we have great need to live nearer to God, and always to be in strict obedience to all his commandments, that we may have a conscience void of offense toward God and man. I have not spoken in secret from the beginning, from the time that it was declared have I spoken, and the Lord God and his Spirit hath sent me. Uh, and then verse seven, verses 17 to 19 now are blessings that God desired for Israel. Verse 17, And thus saith the Lord, thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I have sent him, the Lord, thy God, who teacheth thee to profit, who leadeth thee by the way thou shouldst go, hath done it. O Lord, O that thou hast hearkened to my commandments, then had thy peace been as a river, and thy righteousness as the waves of the sea. Thy seed also had been as the sand, the offspring of thy bowels like the gravel thereof. His name should not have been cut off nor destroyed from before me. If errant church members had been obedient, they could have enjoyed a renewal of the promise of Abraham. Verses 20 to 22 is a song of the flight from Babylon. Verse 20, go ye, go ye forth of Babylon. Elder Maxwell said, even if we decide to leave Babylon, some of us endeavor to keep a second residence there or we commute on weekends. To quote Marion G. Romney, some go on trying to serve the Lord without offending the devil. Elder Maxwell said, why do some of you, some of our youth risk engaging in ritual prodigalism, intending to spend a season rebelling and acting out in Babylon and succumbing to that devilishly democratic everybody does it? Crowds cannot make right what God has declared, has declared to be wrong. Though planning to return later, many such stragglers find that alcohol, drugs, and pornography will not let go easily. Babylon does not give exit permits gladly. It is an ironic implementation of that ancient boast, one soul shall not be lost. Uh, continuing verse 20, flee ye from the Chaldeans with a voice of singing, declare ye, tell this, utter, I'm sorry, tell this, utter it even to the end of the earth. Say ye, the Lord hath redeemed his servant Jacob. The Lord promised that after 70 years they would return from Babylon to the land of their inheritance. And that's from Jeremiah 25, 11. Also, uh, when the lost and scattered sheep of Israel find place again in the fold of their ancient shepherd, they do so by forsaking the world and joining the true church. They leave the de deserts of sin and lie down in the green pastures. They leave Babylon and return to Zion. Verse 21, And they thirsted not. He led them through the deserts. He caused the waters to flow out of the rock for them. He claved the rock also, and the waters gushed out. And that has reference to when Moses... Uh, when the children of Israel were in the, in the wilderness and they didn't have water, uh, Moses uh, uh, hit the rock with his staff and it opened up and, uh, and waters from a spring gushed out. Verse 22, And notwithstanding the, he hath done all this and greater also, there is no peace, saith the Lord, unto the wicked. 
In other words, miracles don't redeem. Even though they saw miracles, it didn't uh, always save them. I hope that we can have a better understanding of Isaiah, and as we get into the next chapter to finish up for this particular section, um, greater the words of Isaiah, as the Savior said, and I bear testimony of the truthfulness of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you like this, you can share it. I think I've said that before, haven't I? Anyway, thanks.